it was like Ugg boots, denim mini skirts, like okay. raffer and jumper. And would you say you've evolved then? Backcombed hair, like blue eyeliner. There's not wrong with blue eyeliner. <laughs> I actually wore blue eyeliner last but like, week. A, like under the eye though? Okay. Or like did you do it on the top? No, I did it like proper in the... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people commented actually, not in a good way. <laughs> they, were, they were like, that's interesting. <laughs> Welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome to studio our guest this week. Millie McIntosh is with us. Millie, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're going to kick things off with our favourite game. So it's called Six Words or Less and it's for our listeners and our readers of Her.ie who may not know who you are. So you have okay. to describe yourself in six words or less. So normally I don't play this game because I can't do it every single week because it would just be too stressful for me but because it's just the two of us today I thought that I would give you six words or less first so mine are short arse who talks too much wow yeah (laughs) so can you top that one Millie I don't know if I can top that (laughs) that all just like ran very smoothly I know yeah planned that was very well planned six words it's hard isn't it when you have to think about it it is that's why I like to put people on the spot um, I would say loyal, mm-hmm. dedicated, creative, sensitive. I'm definitely very emotional. Um, an optimist, eternal optimist, and a bit of a perfectionist. That's brilliant. I love that you have them written down on your phone as well. <laughs> I was like hoping you wouldn't see that. They're great words. Well done. Obviously, a lot of our listeners would know you from Made in Chelsea, but the whole point of this podcast is kind of celebrating women who have serious goals. So since the show, you've released fashion lines, you've done makeup lines, you've kind of become a business onto yourself as well. So if you were to go back to your childhood, did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, it varied. I mean, at one point I wanted to be a ballerina. Really? Um, I mean, I always loved clothes, mm-hmm. um, I, but I was really into riding as well when I was younger. But then I kind of, my, my sister still, is still really into riding, but uh, yeah, my I started to get really involved in fashion and kind of clothes from around like 10, 12. Right, okay. But when I was younger than that, my favourite thing was always like dressing up in like clothes from my dressing up box, like anything from a Disney costume to like some cast off from like my mum or from a babysitter just like you know pretending to be older and just putting on outfits so whether it was like my grandmother's wardrobe just like raiding all of her silk scarves and like jewellery and like her high heels and just like potting around with like her lipstick on and so fashion was kind of like a first love for you then it definitely was a first love I mean obviously you come from an incredibly successful family as well your great grandfather is that right your great 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 grandfather um, invented Quality Street. So, did you feel a lot of pressure when you were growing up? Wasn't of? still owned by my family when I was growing up. Oh, so okay. I think it was more just kind of heritage that I've always been really proud of. Yeah. Um, like we always grew up. I grew up with like all the old tins at home, and I think it's just such a big part of like British heritage. When people think about you know like Quality Street, like everyone has had them and like their table at Christmas. And yeah, um, I'm really into food. So I, I think I've, you know, I've definitely got a sweet tooth and I'm a big foodie and I definitely have taken that from my family. So, I mean, when you were in your early 20s then, you started a Made in Chelsea. Yeah, I was 21. Was 21. And that was in 2011. So you were part of the kind of original. Yeah, it was like the original 
cast. I mean, I've I've watched Made in Chelsea the whole way up, and I think from the very beginning it was definitely like it's said that it was structured reality. Yeah, but it definitely put you all as like a group of friends who hung out. Was that the case, or did you have to go through a casting process first? Um, I didn't go through. A, I didn't go through that process. I think that things maybe have changed a little bit over the years. I mean, yeah. it's still going now. I find it very entertaining still. Okay, um, but when I. I didn't go through like a kind of casting process. I just happened to be friends with some of the people that were doing it at the time and the producers um, kind of asked me to do it. And I said no the first time Um, they asked me. I was, it didn't even have a name at this point. We didn't know what it was going to be. Like we didn't know it was going to be so successful. Mm -hmm. That made it, would have almost made it more scary, I think, to do. Because we just, my dad was literally like, I was explaining it to him. He said, you know, is there just going to be some weird man like following you around with a video camera? I was like, no, it'll be like a whole crew. Yeah. He just like couldn't like fathom it. He was like, is this real? Like when I came like talked to them about it. And it's on series like 15 now or something cra- yeah. crazy like that. So, I mean. It's changed a lot like in terms of cast, obviously, because it's, you know, people have grown up a bit and left and there's like a kind of younger cast now. Yeah. Do you still watch it? Um, occasionally, like I haven't had much time to watch it recently, but if I if I catch an episode, like I find it really enjoyable. I saw something that your now fiance and at the time he was kind of your boyfriend back in 2011. So that's Hugo Taylor. I saw that he said something about the first two seasons of Made in Chelsea was actually really realistic, and now it's definitely changed. So I mean, do you kind yeah, of? I don't I don't know how they film it now. Right. But for me, when I was on it, it was always like real like you know you you were literally finding things out so you weren't sending a real, script or anything no there was there was never a script it right. was um i guess it was produced in a way that they the had the story had to make sense in terms of what they were filming each week mm-hmm. um but they it, this they might say you know can you ask this question because we need to like tell the story of like what's happened a little bit yeah and occasionally things would happen off camera and you'd have to then right okay you know do it on camera and did your family have any hesitancy about you being a part of something like this because I mean in 2011 if we were to look at the states the hills yeah. was the biggest show yeah. in America at the time I was obsessed with yeah, it I was so, a big fan of and that. this was kind of like the UK version of yeah. it so I mean did anybody tell you you shouldn't do this for your own like business maybe or for your own reputation or something I mean I suppose at 21 though it was an opportunity it was an opportunity and actually one of the producers who kind of um, persuaded me to do it and was like a good friend to me during my time um, in the show she just said you know think of this as like a platform for what you might want to do after it yeah. and kind of made me look at it like that and that's kind of when I I spoke to my best friend about it at the time Kagi and she we kind of decided to, to do it together so we kind of went into it like allies which was really nice and she's still one of your closest yeah, friends yeah she's still yeah. one of my best friends I saw yeah. from like your hen party pictures and stuff like that Um so you were 21 when it started. Um, if I look back at pictures of myself when I was 21, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not a good. I mean, you're sight. just you're still like figuring out a lot at 21. You have to try a lot of a lot of looks to work out what you know exactly. Still so growing I was gonna, into. Yourself. I was going to ask you: Do you yeah. ever look back on some maybe styles or images that you wore on the show Definitely. and cringe? And also, have you ever Google imaged yourself? Google image myself. Yeah, so like, like for like old images. Type your name in and then click on the images button to see, yeah, if, yeah. if any. Have you done that? Yeah. Sometimes it might, like, you know, when you just want it, it's kind of like trial and error. You're like, that hairstyle didn't work so well, or like yeah. that 
like that you know makeup look wasn't it's quite a good way to kind of see what you think looked good or didn't look good yeah but I mean for me though I'm very glad that there wasn't reality yeah, TV when um, I was in my early 20s it's also that was obviously some images that I wish weren't there but um, yeah. you know you have to go through lots of kind of make mistakes with what your, your look is um, but there was a lot of um fake tan for me and like quite like kind of just you know as younger it was just I liked wearing a kind of heavier makeup look mm-hmm. the mini dress yeah you know <laughs> big hair mm. um never a coat just like really really high heels um just yeah but just dressed in a slightly less refined way so what about now if you were to describe your style then in say three words how would you do that I feel like I'm always just giving you words you don't have to do that if you were to My if you were style, to just sum up your style what would it be it was like Everything was like mini dress. It was always something short. Mm-hmm. It was kind of yeah. It was quite. It was quite Sloney. Sloney. Yeah. What's that? Quite mean? like like quite like Chelsea. Oh right. So. <laughs> I have no idea that what was that even is. Probably slightly before the show. Like kind of like it was like UGG boots, then a mini skirt, like okay. rougher and jumper. And would you say you've evolved then? Back home hair, like blue eyeliner. Not wrong with blue eyeliner. I actually wore blue eyeliner last week. Like like under the eye, though? Or like, did you do it on the top? No, I did it like proper in the. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of people commented actually, not in a good way. (laughs) They They were like. That's interesting. Very 70s. That's yeah, I, I, I love blue eyeliner. I think we yeah. should bring it back. I think, well, I tried to anyway last <laughs> week and uh, it's not working. So let's talk about weddings a little bit. So you're getting married. Congratulations. Um, so you had your hen there recently. It looked like a kind of a classic hen party. Like I saw it was, some... It was amazing. Like I saw they, some rude shaped balloons <laughs> and, and all this kind of stuff. So you, where did you go? You went off to the Cotswolds. You we went to the Cotswolds. I, I wasn't allowed to know anything about it and I'm... You know, I'm a little bit of a control freak. Um, I like knowing what I'm doing. I like mm-hmm. knowing the plan. So it was kind of killing me a bit not knowing anything about it. But also it was really, it was like the kind of build up, the anticipation was really fun. And it looked like it was quite a small party as well. So it was just it was kind like of... ten of us. So it was just yeah. like close friends. Yeah, it was like like a really close friend friendship group. Most people really knew each other quite well. Yeah. Um, and it was my best friend planned it. Um, love you Hannah and she literally planned my dream weekend it was just we had like a really lovely dinner party and then and we had all of the kind of confetti and cupcakes and there was no strippers though right there were some butlers in the bath yeah I saw like some bombs but (laughs) for me that was like just like perfect because it was funny and it was like entertaining for everyone but I was I banned strippers I was like I'm not I'm not having it so strippers wouldn't be your thing then no I just was like Butlers in the Buff I didn't know they were going to do that but it was it was perfect because it was just the right amount of funny but it wasn't too awkward and they're not going to gyrate on no, you no I just was like I don't want to I just don't want that happening um, and so I'd find it so embarrassing I was like no I, I can understand that so I mean in terms of wedding presents I've had this conversation before right so I'm this is kind of me asking for your advice so I'm seeing a lad from London at the moment okay, okay. and he's pretty convinced that there's a racket going on in Ireland when it comes to weddings and the reason behind this is because the amount that we give for presents is kind of like a stipulated amount that everybody does and I want to know okay. whether it's like that in the UK because he can't believe it like it's it's a lot of money that we give for no, I don't being really a wedding guest. I don't think a lot of a lot of weddings I've gone to recently people have just, you know, said no gifts or Really? Yeah, they've said I've done a charity which is actually what we're doing. Oh, okay. Um and I don't know, I've, I've done, but also I've gone to lots of weddings where they have a wedding list and there's, you know, varying, you know, they cuz you get them something that they want from the yeah. list and there's, you know, things ranging from 
you know, less than £100 to, like, you know, £1,000, depending on... And you can... Lots of people can chip in also for one, like, big item. I think that's a really nice thing to do because yeah. it's become, like, a weird kind of pressure to always give, like, this certain amount. And I don't necessarily know whether... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, unless I just don't know about it in the yeah. UK, but is that, that's, like, a thing here. It's, like, a thing here, yeah. And I, if you're going on your own, then it's still kind of expected that you give the same amount so if you as go if you're as a go- couple, The same as if you go, that's tough. I know, isn't it? Especially, well, it depends on the wedding if you have to travel or yeah, no, absolutely. You need to get a dress. And what do you think about um, plus ones? Then do you like give plus ones out to your single friends for them to bring dates? I or? think it just depends on the wedding, the venue you've got, how how much space you've got. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's nice when weddings are quite intimate. But, yeah. And it's also, I guess, it's quite fun for your friends if they get to bring a date. But I know my single friends love weddings because they're like a great opportunity to meet guys exactly. also so they're quite happy to come on and their own and then there's the singles table <laughs> that I've heard that's great um, we're going to take a quick break now and when we come back we're going to find out why you're in Ireland and we might also test you a little bit on some of your TV knowledge Sticking with a very fashionable theme this week and I'm joined on the line now by Holly McGlynn who is an Irish fashion photographer based in London. Holly, you have an MA in photography from Goldsmiths. You've been shortlisted for Irish Photographer of the Year on more than one occasion and your client list is pretty much eye-wateringly impressive. So tell us, <laughs> when did you... Uh, how about that for an intro? That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's one hell of an intro. Thanks, me. There you go. So tell Tell us, when did you know that photography was the career path that you wanted to take? Yeah, I came to it quite late. So um, I studied history of art and French at Trinity. Um, and then after my studies, I moved to Berlin. I know I did a French degree, but I moved to Berlin anyway, just to mix things up. And I got really into photography when I was in Berlin. And so um, bought a camera, did a couple of like short um, photography courses. And then when I moved back to Dublin, my flatmate was a film producer and they needed a stills photographer. And so she just gave me the job pretty much. And so then I just developed my portfolio in Dublin. And because it was like education, I'd always kind of been in education and because it was like Celtic Tiger um, times, I was like, oh, sure, I'll just do an MA in photography. And so I uh, yeah, got a loan and got onto the MA in photography at Goldsmith. And that is absolutely not necessary at all. You do not need an MA in photography. And um, what you do need is just lots of experience and lots of practice and assisting. But that was just the route that I ended up taking. And I mean, obviously, and- obviously, passion is, is something that you would need as well when it comes to photography. But I mean, before you moved into fashion, was it it was more kind of fine art photography that you were geared towards or or when did the fashion aspect become a part of it so the focus of the ma was on fine art photography so um developing photography projects uh and then uh, exhibiting your work in galleries and it was quite lofty Mm -hmm. and so i was represented by a contemporary art gallery in dublin and so i exhibited with them and then i exhibited in 
different galleries in London as well. And I, I did really like it, but I found it such a lonely process. And I would maybe spend six months developing a project and then I would really hope that the gallery would want to exhibit it and then I'd really hope that someone's actually going to buy my work. Yeah. And actually what I like doing is working in teams, producing a lot of work, um, having deadlines, being really busy and making money. And so I decided that fashion would sort of uh, satisfy those commercial desires that I have, but also would allow me to create um, really beautiful uh, sort of fine art style work as well. So I moved into fashion photography probably about seven years ago now. Um, But that was like starting all over again, really. Um, I thought that doing street style would be a good sort of like foot on the ladder. Mm. And so I did that for a bit and I did some fashion events, uh, but always with my eye on shooting um, main fashion editorials for magazines and campaigns for brands. But I found that um, people like to pigeonhole you. And so uh, everyone knew me as a street style photographer. So when I would approach editors about shooting uh, fashion editorial for them, they'd be like, no, but you're a street style photographer. And so I actually had to stop doing street style um, and just uh, keep shooting editorials on my own time um, and then just sort of let that rebrand infiltrate into people's minds before I started getting commissions for the kind of work that I wanted. And so tell me then, when you were moving into fashion, who was it that you drew inspiration from in the world of fashion photography and how did they kind of influence your thinking and your photographing as well as your career path? Um, So yeah, some of my favourite photographers are Ellen von Unwer. Uh, She is amazing, like, flashy, poppy, um, really colourful work. Um, It's a little bit irreverent, a little bit provocative, and I absolutely love her style. And because there are very few female fashion photographers in the industry, um, she's really a great role model for me. So I admire her and her work and her career so much. Amazing. Um, And then there is another amazing photographer called Miles Aldridge, who uh, creates really beautiful, again, colourful work as well and Jürgen Teller is another photographer whose style is really like flashy as well and I think the sort of the colour and the flash um, and the narrative of the photography of those three photographers have really informed my style. And Holly is being selective important at the beginning of your career if you're starting out in fashion photography or do you kind of take what you can get when it comes to work because obviously everybody kind of has to make a living as well but how important is it to be selective with your projects um, and pay the bills? Sure well I said uh, probably about like eight years ago now I started saying yes to every single opportunity that came my way like come hell or high water it didn't matter if I had to get up at three in the morning it didn't matter if I had to like double job um, I just said yes to everything that came my way but what I did was I didn't advertise the fact that I did all of those jobs um, a photographer friend of mine um, who was a mentor to me at the start of my career uh, told me that in places like London and New York you have to be really really niche in what you present to the world someone isn't going to book a fashion you know someone who says they're a fashion photographer a portrait photographer a PR photographer right. when they can just book someone who purely does fashion so it's very careful about how you have to be very careful about how you brand yourself So, yeah, I would say take whatever work you can to pay the bills and improve your skills, but be selective about what you put out into the world that you're doing. 
kind of in the same vein as that, are there any things within your industry that you stay away from? Are there any kind of cliches or things that you're sick of seeing in the fashion world now at this point? Well, I made a commitment to myself at the start of the year, inspired by Frances McDormand's amazing Oscar acceptance speech about inclusion riders. Yeah. I realized that I really do have so much influence in terms of what media women are consuming. Mm-hmm. So where I have the opportunity to choose the models that I'm working with, I'm only going to choose models from ethnicities and of body types that are underrepresented in the fashion and beauty industries. I think we see a very homogenous um, ideal of beauty in magazines and on billboards. So wherever I have the opportunity to, I'm going to try and change that. Holly, are you alone in that? I mean, do you find that a lot of photographers within your industry are feeling the same way? Or are you kind of a little bit individual in, in your efforts? I don't think so. I think there is a movement happening and I think it's happening quite slowly. But uh, I can definitely see some differences in the types of casting that we're seeing in campaigns and in magazines as well, especially with um, Edward Ennenthal as the new editor of British Vogue. Mm. Uh, He has had such diverse models uh, in his um, editorials that he's published. And I, I think they're a real leader change in the industry so I think if he's doing it then everyone else is going to follow suit pretty soon And what about retouching so I mean obviously it's something that happens as a photographer what's your opinion on that whole process that happens in in post and using Photoshop within, within the fashion world I mean obviously everybody needs an aesthetically beautiful shot in order to you know do what what the whole point is which is to to Hmm. sell the clothes Um, but I mean have you ever had like really crazy experiences with that where you're just like that's not the picture that I took (laughs) well I mostly um, do my own retouching um, unless the client has a preferred retoucher that they want to use but I would always ask to sign off on those photos before they are published okay. um, but I just have I have one rule when it comes to retouching and that's that I never slim any models down so uh, yeah but beyond that I am happy to uh, enhance uh, the photo in whatever way is necessary to uh, sort of create an aspiration yeah because that's really the point of the photography but yeah I don't slim down that's my rule that's a great rule to have um, so obviously <laughs> we're kind of living in the midst of big changes within the fashion and publishing world at the moment so how do you see the role of photographers change as the fashion and digital world continue to expand in terms of the amount of kind of self curation that's happening now with Instagram influencers and you know everybody's a photographer now as they say when it comes to their own kind of um, social media so how do you think that your role within the fashion world is going to change in say the next kind of 10 years or so? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if you have any ideas, please pass them on. I'm gonna we'll need. See, I'm gonna like... need you to answer me, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously, a lot of mag- magazines are closing down at the moment, which is really sad. Really sad. Um, I still um, invest a lot of money in print magazines. I think there's nothing quite like buying yourself a big glossy and uh, going through all the articles and the beautiful photography and all of this creation of work that has gone into it but I yeah I just think it's um, 
print that people aren't interested in anymore. It's not that people aren't interested in seeing beautiful imagery and mm. reading interesting articles. So I think it's just going to different platforms. So I think the kind of work that we might see in a print magazine now will just go online somewhere. And yeah. so hopefully uh, the the budgets that were once uh, in print will just go to a different platform now. And what advice would you give to aspiring fashion photographers who are trying to break into the business at the moment? I would say find a great creative team. So find other stylists, makeup artists, art directors, hairstylists that are looking to expand their portfolio as well. And I would say just book test shoot after test shoot after test shoot approach modeling agencies and um, to work with their new faces and just keep shooting as much as possible um, and yeah just be really relentless because there's a lot of no's um, at the start of your career and even in the middle of your career and I'm sure at the end of your career as well but you just have to be quite resilient to the no's and persevere and finally, until someone and says yes. Finally Holly before I let you go I mean we hear a lot about creative people suffering from things like writer's block and stuff like this so my final question is how do you stay inspired like I mean I think it's it's tough sometimes I know I struggle with it sometimes and I have to kind of clear my head and maybe go for a walk or something like that so are there any times when you feel like your creativity is stunted and how do you combat that definitely I mean I know um fashion photography is a creative role but equally I feel like a lot of my skills are very technical there's Mm. a lot of like lighting and equipment and software uh, and then there's a lot of like organization skills that go with it as well so I feel like sometimes that I'm not being very creative at all so um yeah I guess I like I like I said I read a lot of magazines I go to a lot of photography exhibitions I read a lot of books um I don't know it's kind it's kind of intangible it's hard to put your finger on it but I would say get off your phone get off your laptop um, and go get out into the world Absolutely well I would say I look at your Instagram account and it fills me with creativity it's aesthetically beautiful to look at so I would say to everybody listening to go and check out Holly McGlynn and Holly thank you so much for taking the call and coming on the show Thank you so much it's been lovely to chat Okay, so we're back with Millie McIntosh. So I've seen in interviews before that you've said that your entire experience on Made in Chelsea was incredibly fulfilling and that you wouldn't change it for the world and it's a part of you and it's a part of who you've become today. So I thought that in keeping with that, we might have a little bit of fun before we go. So I want to test you a bit on the series. (laughs) And see how much you remember. So some of this is from the first series. It was like six years ago. Yeah, no, that's fine. (laughs) Okay. So which one of these has not been a business venture for Mark Francis Vandelli? Which has not. Which has not. Okay. So you've got three options. Pocket squares, alligator skin wallets, or silk monogrammed umbrellas with gold handles and gilt piping. (laughs) This is a difficult one because... Do you want the... the, Okay, I I feel like I want to say I hope he hasn't done the alligator skin wallets. Okay. Is that but, your final answer? Okay, wait, wait, what was the first, pocket handkerchief? Pocket squares, pocket. alligator skin wallets, or silk monogrammed umbrellas with gold handles and gilt piping? Oh, I feel like it's really hard because he would definitely probably try like use all of those things. Um, 
Oh, I don't know. I'm going to push you for an answer, Okay, Maddie. I'm going to say not the, not the wallet. Not the wallet. Um, that is incorrect. Oh. He's actually done alligator skin wallets. Ooh. So he hasn't done silk monogrammed umbrellas with gold handles and gilt oh. piping. Yeah, I'm surprised that you were like, as if like, oh, he's definitely done silk umbrellas. <laughs> definitely. Oh, I never yeah. even, 100% I thought he would have done I've silk I've never even heard of that. Um, okay, so at Kagi's first gig at the Troubadour, what song did she cover in a heartfelt acoustic version. So three options again. Was it Beyonce's Crazy in Love, Rihanna's What's My Name, or Katy Perry's Teenage Dream? It was Rihanna. It was Rihanna. Well done. You remember that? I think that was in the first episode. Yeah, I remember. I did her makeup. Um, And then final question. What did Spencer do to get Stephanie to eventually forgive him for cheating on her? Did he buy her a Prada handbag, take her to the polo, or ask her to move back in with him? Did he buy her a handbag? He bought her a Prada handbag, yes. <gasps> oh, like those, those boys. Those boys! <laughs> well done. You did all right. You got like two okay. out of three. Okay. That's pretty good. I'm happy with that. Yeah. So you're in Ireland to launch the new Magnum Praline ice cream. I don't know if I said that right. It's, Praline? It's Praline. Oh, shit. Oh, oh there we go. Got it really wrong. <gasps> Is it actually had- Praline? Yeah. Um, yeah, Magnum Proline. Magnum Proline ice cream and the arrival of the Magnum Pleasure Seekers series. I can say that, okay, which is a mouthful to say, though. So the whole campaign is about finding your pleasure. So you said that you're a big believer in pursuing your pleasure and style has always yeah. been that for you. And the Magnum ethos is a day without pleasure is a day lost. So what would be your ultimate day of pleasure? My ultimate day of pleasure would probably involve eating and shopping. Oh, that sounds perfect. Yeah. What so, kind of food are we talking now? Are we talking healthy food? Probably like, probably more indulgent. <laughs> probably like, okay, I'm trying to think. Just going, yeah, I guess going out for like a really lovely lunch. Yeah. I mean, I really love Japanese, going for some like really lovely sushi, like yeah. going shopping with the girls, having indulgent dinner with lots of uh, prolinate ice cream for dessert nice curling up on the sofa with a tub in the evening yeah well done I like that plug there as well Um, so you've got an event then this evening in Dublin as well so uh, you're going to be giving some tips about your own style yeah I'm going to be talking about style and um, just a range of different outfits different ways to wear them Amazing. And enjoying the, the cocktails and the ice cream. Fantastic. I will see you there. And I'm presuming that you're also going to be get a lifetime supply of Magnum for doing I this campaign. I hope so. Amazing. <laughs> Millie, thank you so much for coming in. That is all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much to my guest, Millie McIntosh, for joining us in studio. Shane Dempsey was on sound. Anya Leach was helping me out behind the scenes today. Join us next week. We'll be coming to you from London for a very special episode. I'm Neve Marr, and we'll chat to you then. Thanks. Bye. 